Oh, you, you know something that we could we could riff on? Uh, you know, I start Mechanics of Reincarnation with this quote that says, the essence of philosophy is to practice the death of our self-models, thereby opening attention to broader terrains of awareness. And I feel like there's a connection to unframe of mind hmm. with that. Look, man. You know, I, I want to know the origin of that title, unframe of mind. Maybe, maybe you'd find it useful to... I'm going to be perfectly honest <laughs> with you right now. And as I'm sharing stuff out... Beyond small talk and banter, I didn't hear shit you said. <laughs> like I am not even ten minutes in, you're already rooted a guess. What's wrong with you, dude? I'm sorry. Come on, Daniel. I'm sorry. So nah, welcome back with you. to another episode of the Unframe of Mind show. I'm still trying to get links out. You're fine. While we have uncomfortable conversations without a condom, I'm your host, Daniel Wagner. Hey, Anthony Trawick. And we're gonna have us another one of them good old fashioned uh conversations you know them old highbrow ideas and lowbrow packaging if yeah, you will it's gonna be a little bit different tonight but it's gonna be a good and good, good conversation our guest tonight is a gentleman from the minds community that we have ran into by the name of mac vote he's a uh, a poet and uh, i I've, I've given him something to rise to i've called him a philosopher extraordinaire so we'll see what kind of hijinks we can get into tonight and uh, if you guys have any questions for him as the show rolls on please leave them in the comments section and we'll be sure to include those as well so yeah and it's uh the first time we've had a poet in the five years we've been doing the show for the very first time so stay so. tuned for that yep. coming up next. listening to the unframe of mind show the place to have the most mind-stretching unprotected intellectual intercourse of your life your hosts battle the forces of evil by lobbing fiery balls of truth, reason, and evidence over safe room walls. Roses are red, violets are blue, you look handsome, and I do too. <laughs> That's, That's a great way to kick off the show. Very good. Like, your poetry. That's it. Beautiful. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. it Absolutely, man. So, ironically, not, I didn't, no, it's not ironic. I was... Um, have not yet brought him up, but he's already talking. Oh, I haven't. Even he, he is excited. Him. So I know we need I, more I need, guests I, that I, are I this to, excited. Like, I need to like say, "Hey, Mac, welcome to the show," and then I need to actually bring you up on the screen so that people can see you. <laughs> oh, sure. There, there he is. is. Hey. hey. <laughs> We got the we got we got all the bugs worked out. I yep, that's right. That's the disadvantage of having to produce your own show while you're <laughs> trying to have the show, but. It happens. So. Mac, welcome to the show, and, and uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Um, like I said at the beginning of the show, this is the first time we've had a poet on, so this is a little bit out of what we normally discuss every Friday night, but it's sometimes refreshing to have a different kind of conversation, to kind of break up the you know the routine of the social issues and politics and the minutia of what we normally discuss every yeah. Friday night. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's the function of poetry. It's supposed to open your mind by by delivering just brand new ways of thinking about things. Absolutely. At the lower so, level of, of of like just like wow, I've never read a line like this. I've never read a sentence like this. What does it even mean? Right. You know, right. kind of pop you out of your reality. So we usually like to have a good time and joke around and have fun, but tonight we decided to try something different and talk to you. Yeah, really? yeah, no, no joke around here. <laughs> that was so bad. That was cringeworthy, dude. I know, that was the point. Oh, come so, on. <laughs> all right, so check this out. Speaking of change, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to try something I wasn't expecting to do, but we're going to do this anyway. We have a segment of the show that we like to do called the Phobismist. And what the Phobismist is, it's it's comprised of a phobe, ism, and ist. You know, those those three 
words or suffixes and prefixes all mushed together. And the, the goal of a phobismist, or a professional phobismist, is to tell people why they should be offended by literally everything, mundane objects or whatever it is. We're, we're putting on our little uh, lefty uh, mental cap for just a moment. So uh-huh. I, I want to challenge you, and I'm gonna, ch- and I have not, I don't have anything prepared, but just for fun, we're gonna see what we can come up with and explain to people why they should be offended by poetry. How about oh. that? It's gonna make you think, no, man. Right. I mean, I know, I know what they're offended by. They're offended by well, the pretentiousness of it. I'll, but t- I don't I'll know tell you what. Let me run the intro for that, and we will get started in just a moment. All right, and tonight on the Phobismist, we're going to have our guest tonight, Mac Vogt, and us, and Anthony and me. We're going to explain to you guys why poetry is offensive. Can it be? I think it can. I think why do you say, okay. So, so first of all, I, I, what if I'm, roses don't want to be red? Well, I'm trying to I'm trying to come up with something. <laughs> See, because I'm I'm thinking that you know something about um, when you when you write poetry, um, the, just the fact that you can read and write is already kind of you know you know you're 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 already kind of moving on into the man white man's world, you know, because you know traditionally <laughs> you know colonialists colonialists they went around all, all these other countries and kind of forced other people to learn how to read and write you know it was kind of uh, like i see where you're going with yeah this. yeah okay. I, feel, I feel like you know i feel like if you if you can write poetry you have to have attained such a level of reading and writing that you basically are a racist you're you're white supremacist i don't know how you came up with racist but <laughs> no i meant i meant white supremacist that's what i meant what, what do you what do you think what do you think Matt? oh I, yeah that, you should be offended by that for sure i think uh poetry you know it's it's very traditionalist it's like you know you're going to be listening you're going to be reading poets that are 300 years old already like the most not progressive time and democrat ever. voters you know <laughs> dead ones years ago, it, it's terrible. <laughs> and they vote democrat certainly <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> i think it was wig back then they, they were voting they were voting wig yeah 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 so that'd be weird if we had some weird 300 year old poet dead people voting for the wig party in 2020 <laughs> 2021 somehow biden won uh, like because of it <laughs> oh my god with, with everything going on in the world right now there's there's a <laughs> nothing, good chance that could happen nothing surprises, surprises. anymore <laughs> yeah a- any any other reasons why poetry should be offensive i can't think of anything off the top you of my know, head this, i mean i know I mean, it was impromptu and i apologize for that i mean the bad poetry is is offensive and nearly nearly all of it is bad to some degree you know um just like the the off tones, the awkward um, posing. There's a lot of uh, growth that you got to get into it. There's a lot of bad poetry you got to write before you can write any kind of good poetry, probably. So you know you should be a little bit of a connoisseur and um, just oh. hate on poetry. So Ooh. have you ever done any slam poetry before? Uh, no, I, I actually very recently wrote a. Uh, um, a satire making fun of slam poetry within the slam poetry kind of rhythm because it's very <laughs> formulaic and almost like once you're in it it's hard to get out of that rhythm of speaking that's so um uh obnoxious and familiar i guess hmm. um but yeah i've never done it other than that so what's your thoughts on white guys trying to do slam poetry is that that's probably offensive isn't it like cultural appropriation or something. There's got to be some boundary being crossed here. It's got to be. Oh yeah, I mean it's well. Well, you also have 
I mean, white guys have been doing uh, hip hop now too. They've been doing uh, yeah, and that's Tom un- McDonald. Mm, that's like, unacceptable. <laughs> that's Tom unacceptable. McDonald. There you go. That's unacceptable. <laughs> Are you offended by that? Is that is that cringe? Is that like you know where's the cringe level there? Yeah, well, um, I mean, as soon as I saw him with his braids and whatnot, I was like, no, nah, that's a bridge too far for me. <laughs> like yeah. stealing hip hop from the black people was already enough. But once he put on the braids, I'm like, sorry, Tom, I'm out. I'm out, homie. I can't. I can't do this anymore. Yeah, yeah. I think I think um, slam poetry is the way it is oh. because um, it's competitive. It's a, it's athletic. You know, you're not you're not trying to expand the boundaries. You're trying to, you know, there's there's definitive ways to do it, and you're all trying to compete on what everybody agrees is good. But the kind of poetry that I'm interested in is like, you know, oh, I've never heard of this. I never thought of this before. I never knew. Oh, okay. That. That's the kind of ideal. Well, one last one last point from the audience here. Um, Silly Redhead says, "There's too many types of poetry. I'm offended by haiku. It ends with coup like the Ku Klux Klan." <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Who said, oh my God, Anthony, I can't read that. So little. Oh, sorry. I don't know. What I do now? I don't know. You probably did something Oh my wrong. God, Anthony, get... It's okay. I can't read it. Don't worry about it. Okay. It's fine. It's not, it's probably not important. It's just the well, audience typing this, to us. How about this? Po- poetry, poetry is essentially misogynist. Oh, oh well, I was I was ready to move on, but I, now I want to hear. Why well, is it's, it? It's logos. It's, it's, it's totally masculine. It's, it's like consciousness. Consciousness you know? is masculine? Yeah, it's imposing. That's that's why you should hate it. That's that's the the feminist critique. That sounds mm. much deeper than I'm prepared to wow. deal with tonight. <laughs> that's on a whole other level of phobismus. You must be like thirteen level. You must be thirteen levels of woke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know that that critique wasn't even good because poetry is is actually a lot of it is subconscious. Philosophy is the real is the real offender. All right, so let's mm. uh, let's get started on our actual show for the yes. night. I appreciate the feedback from the audience on that one, silly redhead. That was awesome. Well done. All right, Mac, talk to me. What what's what's the deal? What what got you into poetry? Tell that's what. I well, actually, where are you from? Yeah, tell people about you. Who who are you? Yeah, yeah. Who so are we talking who are to? You? Who the hell are you? I've done, a, I've done a big circle. So apparently, a lot of people end up ten miles from where they were born, no matter where they mm. go. So that actually happened to me. I was born in Toronto. And then I moved as a baby to New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And then when I was 18, I moved to Pittsburgh. I went to school in Pittsburgh. And then I moved back to Toronto like uh, six years ago, seven years ago. Wow. Yeah. So, now, so, uh, is all your fa- now, is your family still in Toronto or have they kind of dispersed out? What's that? Is your family still in Toronto or have they kind of dispersed? No, they dispersed out. They dispersed have out. They? It's only me. It's only okay. me. Okay. Now, are you married, single, got kids? Was What's your married, backstory there? But, okay, but now divorced. Gotcha. Okay. Did you write a poem about that? Uh, yeah, I did. Really? Yeah, I had I had to mind that grief. And I said, "This is too good. This is too good." <laughs> you little opportunist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, got to strike while the iron's hot. <laughs> wouldn't do that now. No, but I, I can imagine that those those are the times, and I've I've written a lot of poetry myself, going all the way back to like middle school, and it's like well, breakups during, during those times you know. of heightened emotions is like yeah. when you feel like you got to like just get it out, and most of it for me kind of sucked, but you you do kind of come up with you know you write a lot, and then you come up with a few gems that come out really well done, and it's like. Is that kind of what it is for you, or is this everything you do brilliance, or what, what kind of experience have you had on on your creative process? Man, well, it's um, I, w- I would say that I'm I'm a slow man. I write so much on the internet. I write. It really depends on the medium, you know. Um, 
I don't know about you, but like the internet, um, this, this like interactive cybernetic kind of system that we're hooked into with all the dopamine and, and uh, um, those hooks really gets me writing automatically mm-hmm. and I don't have to think about it. And I, mm-hmm. I, have, I have to say, I think a lot of what I write on the internet is great. But when I write in my notebook, when I say, okay, I'm really going to intend on this, I'd say 90% of it is shit. 90% of it is like, I don't know who my audience is. I don't, I'm just, I'm not even feeling it. I'm forcing myself kind of do it. Hmm. And then all of a sudden there's this um, weird in-between time in which I'm walking. And all of a sudden I just get this idea that be like, wow, that's a really good, that's a poem would be the only way to put this in. I take my phone out. I just pop, pop, pop. And it comes out. And usually it's one run and something comes out. Not, not too much reworking required. So yeah. yeah, your your creative process sounds a little bit like mine, where it's just that you have to like catch it when it comes, or it's gone. Yeah. Like you're not yeah. going to get it back. And but have you ever been in that position where it comes to you, and then you get sidetracked with something, you forget to write it down? You're like, oh my god, this this sounded brilliant. You know that notebook I carry around with me everywhere? That happens to me all the time, and I hate that shit. You know I that, need to start carrying a yeah, notebook. That's exactly <laughs> like exactly the reason why I started carrying that notebook with me is because of that very thing. Because yeah. there was too many times where I came up with something really cool, and I'm like in the middle of something, and then you're like, I'll get it in a minute. But then you don't get it in a minute. But we've done that with distra- skits. And by, by the time you end up getting around to it, you're, you're like, man, what was it? I don't even remember what the topic was or anything. Now, you you had mentioned about uh, going to college in Pittsburgh. What did you end up going to college for? Oh, for film. I, I went really? To, I went to school for film, and then I realized that film was, was for rich kids. It was for people who had a lot of money to make a lot of experiments, a lot of bad bad movies in order to build that skill. And I was already much more of an experimental mind, didn't really have much capital to play with. You know, it takes like $5,000 just to make a, you know, shitty little short film. So I pivoted to literature because words are limitless and and completely free. You know, so I I saw it as a sandbox of creativity. From there, I started seeing poetry as this music video of of thoughts that could kind of like rotate through a different dimension with like each cut. You know, you could do stuff with poetry that you can't do with just a purely visual format like uh, cinema. Um, and, and then I just got hooked by the ease of it and the kind of weird kind of power that that poetry had. So, yeah, I, I guess you kind of answered our question is as far as when you got into poetry, which would have been when you were in college. Yeah. Um, now, I've, I've been reading and I actually heard through your interview with uh, uh, Censorship Sucks that you did their intro video. Um, so do you still dabble in that kind of creativity when it comes to visuals or, or, okay. So you do. Okay. Yeah. 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 Once you, once you've had that skill, I mean, you're not intimidated by it, I guess. You know, if you've never done it, you're, you're like, Oh, movies are like this magical thing. And, Mm -hmm. and like, you know, like how you make one, but it's, it's especially editing is a lot of fun. Editing is a lot like actually poetry because, because I mean, you know, you got this timeline. It's a lot about timing. It's a lot about this kind of cognitive, um, you know, what feels right as far as, you know, that single line. And then you cut just like an, an enjambment where, where you got, go to the next line. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the difference between poetry and just prose. Prose doesn't have that cut. Poetry does. You, you're, you're constantly cutting these lines up. Oh, get, just like okay. Just like a music video or something. Like I always that. kind of... Uh, use those words almost synonymously what would you say is the difference i didn't know there was a difference what would you how would you 
explain oh, that. Oh yeah, an end gem is is a is a cut basically in, in a line. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. Between a, between prose and poetry, I thought prose was just like the lines you put in your poetry. Oh no, no, no! Prose is well. There there is such a thing called prose poetry, and post prose poetry would be something that reads like a poem, but is basically a paragraph. You're not getting any gem, and you're not getting any cuts or stanzas or anything like that. Um, but you know, Ben Ben Lerner uh, has a definition there between prose and poetry. Prose is associated with fiction, um, narrative, narrator's voice, and and prose really centers on this. He says this um, uh, the texture of etc. This middle ground, this this feeling of time passing. You kind of get hypnotized by prose. You're addicted to read it, reading it. You turn the pages. You don't really stop. It's it's supposed to like create this uninterrupted experience. Poems are constantly interrupting your attention of being like, oh, that line didn't complete. I have to put my eyes to the next. And now it doesn't make sense in the way that I thought it would. I'm surprised. There's an interruption. Uh, you know, so so he says poetry is defined instead of the hypnotic sense. It's more like you fall into the gaps between words. You know, if, hmm. if you're reading a poem and you're literally like having to hold two words together, being like, what the fuck does this mean? You're mm -hmm. reading poetry. Why don't we play a little bit of this video that he did, this, this poetry? Yeah, I got your video lined up, your dream video. Is that is that okay with you if I play that? Sure. One? Yeah, that's a good one. Do yeah, it let me, uh, let me, I'm going to go ahead and, it's three minutes, well, almost four minutes long. We'll go ahead and just play the whole thing. What do you say? Yeah, to start from the beginning. Okay. Let okay. everybody get a listen. So, I think we're just looking at a book in front of a window. SBK right did not encounter the simple slate of nothing. It was anything but. Avoiding the Franken feature, now to let go to do the dirty work. The direct naming of effect, but you name without seeing. Your waist at a distance of time. The muffling blanket tells you rough tea about your cheek. The scent of your days, your days, your failure. Which had been a simplification of your personality in time. This instant. Beyond the gentle dip into water that your gown is drawn towards as you are not directly observed. Of course, but not at all, because all you have is the lofty constriction about your back, and printing of lace. The patterns that one can simulate as being drawn below somewhere away, where it might get dirty. This out-of-body bird, which tunnels by the strangeness of feeling. And do a different time. Another clock. Another tick. Another relation to the dream had ten years ago in a single dormant net brushed now miraculously in a limited sense from eight different rural pathways of the current dream flowing like birds. Properly. It was a tragedy comedy pulsar in the distance, normally only detected as a smudge by the cold scientist bathed in cold water. Her can't feel. There was a boy that you touched and without knowing made everything sense. The whore and the creep a priori in the universe. Such a phrase as Franken part and yet the scientist knows who made the clocks and that nothing is truly isolated for us. Though from him everything is so much he cannot use the word as everything or is or so or love and you have loved and learned something really quite awful about yourself. 
And how strange we may be elevated in the enveloping spin of death and decay that with the appropriate yarn makes youth as outright as it is. To glide is a thrill like a hit or a dab, whose half-life is perpetually now, and that's how you can fly. Each breath the baseline you suffocate yourself within your dreams in order to doze on reality, and this is reality. How soft could beauty be that this price stood like a mountain, and she? How could questions such as these be asked in any way? but felt as the shallowing expansive reflection which reveals speed and partial physics and the strange sculpture in time so minute as to be with our limited powers flat. Is that... Oh, I'm just seeing some more visuals here for another minute or so. Anyway, um, yeah. Well done. That would be an example of prose poetry, but I mean, you can't you can't know that when you hear it. Uh, okay, so just now that I'm actually sitting here paying close attention to it and actually listening, uh, one thing one thing comes to mind um, is I when you read poetry that somebody else has written versus when you hear somebody else read it. Versus when you hear the original person who wrote it read it, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's like a whole different level, different levels of experience in that, and uh, like there were certain things I noticed, like you were using your breathing or your breaths as part of the poetry, and that sound in that his video. voice was yeah was not not really raspy, but kind of just calm, relaxing, and no, more like you, you kind of had you could feel it. Yeah. kind of sense you know i don't know it's hard to describe but i like that it's um like you you're not going through the motions of the feelings but you're actually feeling what you're saying you know yeah, yeah I just, it's I hard just, to describe I just, noticed, I just noticed like i said the breathing part of it you can't you can't get that when you're just reading it off a piece of paper in a book like that's not going to be part of your experience of reading it unless you like somehow like put in quotations you know breathe here which is just weird and clunky and awkward but it was just form. it was that was beautiful though <laughs> Just the way you you the way you uh, you, you talked and the breathing and the you know the visuals, all of it put together. That to me, this is my favorite video, by the way. Um, I, got, I just don't see this anymore. I, I gotta know. I got, I gotta know because because you're hearing us re- like reacting to you know. Yeah. I feel like and, we're doing a music video and reaction. And, yeah, and, and interp- <laughs> interpreting kind of what you not even really interpreting what you said, just more like the the. F- framing and format that the, the style you chose to deliver it in is what we're actually talking about what is yeah. i mean what's that like for you i'm just curious well you, you know I, I became instantly aware of how i was speaking to you before the poem you know i, I and and i'm like man i sound like soft there that's like a like i'm whispering to a girl at like one o'clock at night <laughs> you know that, that's, what? That's, kind of, that's that kind of voice okay so i got a couple of quite well let's start with one question um so what what was this poem like what, what what was the driving force behind this one? Oh man so this was um man an excerpt from a book that i was writing or attempting to write um that was a fantasy i wanted to make like a mainstream science fiction fantasy book about a world that was creating a world a fantasy world mm-hmm. uh dreaming played a huge part 
It was a society that never dreamed, that didn't know what dreaming was until it just happens one day. And like, you know, I was thinking like, oh, what if this world was like, you know, dreams wasn't a regular thing. And all of a sudden it just explodes out sort of like the internet. Yeah. So I wanted to make it like this metaphor for the internet and connect it to this kind of weird virtual thing that we're doing right now, kind of a thing, virtuality yeah. of dreams, subjectivity. Uh, so it's just a paragraph of that. It's a stream of thought. I was operating within a community, uh, a poetry community um, that did a lot of surreal work uh, that focuses a lot on automatic writing, trying not to think about it at all, hmm. which is kind of kind of a hard thing to I've, do. I've never yeah. I've never tried that. You, you're talking about like just kind of getting yourself in a flow state and just writing, just kind of almost vomiting yeah. the words onto the page. Kind of like as a they meditated come. state kind of thing. Is that what, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. And, and huh. you know, I, what I wanted to say to, to, to you, you made a really interesting point about hearing, hearing something spoken versus reading it. And when you, when you speak something, there is an entirely different, a, 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 an entirely new layer of uh, performative decisions you're making at every point. Yeah. That's yeah. not there in the, in yeah. the original yeah. So you hear that and you think the poem's this one thing and then you go to the text and you read it and you remember kind of what you heard, but you can't remember exactly what it was. And the experience does change. And um, yeah, that's what I really, really enjoy. Yeah, I've always thought it would, I think it's great that you have these in recorded form, reading them in your own voice. Because I mean, imagine how cool that would be to go back and hear the original, you know, art, artists and the poets back in the day you know, describing yeah. their work or, or just delivering it to yeah. you in, in the way that they intended it to be delivered. And, and instead of trying yeah. to go back after the fact and try to decipher what they meant or what they were talking about, or, you know, just to hear them in their own words, like that's something that historically speaking is a very strange thing that we're able to do today that they didn't yep. have that ability back, back then. And right. how cool would that be to go back and listen to, you know, in cold blood, like listen to the book being read, you know, or, you know, what, what's it? Uh, I, I'm brain farting. Uh, even, even like 1984, for example, a book that gets brought up all the time, you know, to hear, you know, the author actually, yeah. Or will actually it. say in his own words, yeah. what's, what's the, you know, what's the, uh, what's the point he's trying to deliver and what's the emphasis that he's trying to make sure to point out, you know, where this show's really got you thinking. No, it? no, I just, it's just, it's just, <laughs> no, it's a good thing. I've always thought about <laughs> this stuff, how, how interesting it would be to actually hear it from the, from the horse's mouth. So to speak. but I knew having him on would bring out the creative side in you because you love to write. I don't have a creative side. Oh yeah, you do. Me. Yes, you do. <clears throat> I know you quite I'd well, like to, my friend. I'd like to know more about this, uh, <laughs> poetry group. You said you host on minds. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's a good lead in there. One of the things I like to do, I mean, a poetry group online, the basic bread and butter of it is that you want to post poems and you want to read poems. People want to post poems because they feel like their poems are getting read and that gives them meaning. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like this emergent um, literary journal that everybody's piecing together um, at the same time. And sometimes it sucks and then sometimes it's really good. You just get like a great series of poems that all kind of work together. And so as the poetry kind of, um, as the guy running the group, it's basically my commitment to read all the poems as much as I can and to, and to really show and like lead by example of, of engaging. And one of the things I love about reading is sometimes I, I read a poem, I want to show that I've read it and that I engage in it and I resonate with it. I can't think of anything to say at the moment. Sometimes right. it's just right. inarticulable what it is. <laughs> and so what I'll do is I'll record a reading. I'll read it themselves and they'll get this hit 
of another person interacting with their poem. The poem changes in their mind They're, and they come back. I share it and people seem to love it. And that's something that you couldn't do without this kind of modern technology that we all have mics. We all got phones. We can all just, I can just send it on the internet like that. So, so um, from, from the comments, Rico says note to self, uh, make hair more fun. <laughs> <laughs> you you've gotten multiple comments on your hair already. You have. Um, uh, who was it? Uh, Lady Della. She said, "Thankfully, a lot of authors are reading their own audiobooks." Oh my God, you are yes. so right. I love that. The fact that like um, Stefan Molyneux is. Uh, mm-hmm. wait, that wasn't this show. That was another thing we were talking about. We've done so many shows. I'm getting lost where I'm at. <laughs> anyway, he's he's been reading. He reads all of his own books, and to hear the author in their own voice, especially after you listen to their podcast for so long. You, it would just feel. Uh, it feels strange if you hear it from somebody else. Yeah, like you have some yeah. like British yeah. pretentious British guy reading your poem, and you're like some Southern American. Like, <laughs> like no, like that's not acceptable. Um, yeah. and something you mentioned a minute ago is, um, you know, when when you're reading it versus when somebody else is reading it. Now, here's another interesting one. I heard I I had somebody who's very um self conscious uh, about reading her poetry, and she didn't want to read it. So so I, I had her read it to me just by herself. And when she read it, it sounded like she kind of was, it was like doll and there was no, like the performative aspect, it wasn't there, but you could kind of get the feelings. And so I was like, can I, can I read your poem for you? <laughs> like, and she's like, yeah, absolutely. So I read it and she's like, wow. <laughs> like, Cause it like almost took on a whole nother life because of the way that I chose to, you know, emphasize certain, certain ideas and certain words. And it was like, it was, I was adding that performative, you know, flair to it. And it mm-hmm. was, it, it just made it a whole nother, took on a whole nother life of its own that she didn't even envision it having so that's of course yeah how could she how could she you're literally making something new right you know (laughs) brand new context uh for for and and poetry is very (laughs) you know uh it changes by the context it changes i mean literally a poem is not the same thing twice that's why i like to write it because if i write something like you know five years ago and i come back to it i notice how much i've grown because i read the poem differently you know isn't that interesting Yeah. yeah same words it's literally like six kilobytes of information yeah I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've gone back and read old stuff that I wrote and then been like, man, I would have edited that and changed that. Cause it's, oh, you yeah. know, there's so many things that I, I do now from a, from a writing aspect. I'm like, Oh, that would have been so much better if you, that, you know, back then I never would have seen it, <laughs> but back then it sounded great. I was, and, oh, yeah. and, then, and then as you introduce it to people, they're like, Oh, that sounds really good. And, and you kind of wonder, you know, are they being genuine? Do they actually like it? Is it really the best it could be? I don't, you know, but what I like, uh, what I like is conscious about it. The things I used to write way back when I find that later on through life, as the years progress forward, I always want to go back and critique something just a little bit. Right. Yeah. And then because I'm never satisfied with what I wrote or I've gone through something or an experience that has led me to want to add something to that piece. And, you know, I I don't know. Have you ever been through a situation like that where you've written something from so long ago, Mac, and then you kind of go back and you start to tweak a little bit or add kind of something that's more relevant. Yeah. 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 Because, okay. So you have this kind of stream like flow of pure generation, that kind of mode, mm-hmm. but sometimes you're in an editing mode. You don't want to actually think of anything new. Right. You want to just rearrange things. You know, you just want to be the editor, like sort of like being a film editor. You have mm-hmm. footage already that you got and now you just want to ha- it's just, it really is a different type of mind. And I do find it is a very easy way to make outstanding poetry is to go back to your own stuff. You can even go back to crap entry out of crap entry, pick one line that resonates, put it all together. Don't even think about it. Just collage it. 
and you end up with something good most times. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's another way of, of just generating material and, and revisiting who you were and, and what you were thinking. And I, I think it's great. I, I honestly think it's like super awesome to do that. Cool. Well, yeah, we've. Uh, let me grab this comment real yeah, quick. Yeah, I was going to um, talk about that. Zoom. Yeah. Um, Ross, We're not done with the show yet, but. Right. Ross from YouTube says make sure this guy joins the Zoom so I can offer criticism perception on poetry. Sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. If, if anybody wants to join afterwards, uh, Mac has. Mac will be available. He has uh, volunteered to join us for the private Zoom call afterwards. Those links are in the description. You got to be part of our Telegram group or our discord group in order to get that link if you're on facebook i don't send that link over there no more so sorry so matt gotta ask you the book yeah. i uh i see that it's on amazon and uh seeing that you got a video that goes with it so tell us a little bit about the the, the was it the reincarnation yeah mechanics of reincarnation mechanics. Well, I wanted, uh, it's a book and it's a film it's this first chapbook that I put. It's the first time I've seen my work together. Uh, there's like 20 poems together. It creates like this world. Like each poem makes a whole or, or each poem makes a part in a whole and they all talk to each other. I was like, my mind was blown when I first did this. I was like, my God, I'm an artist. It's amazing. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, I'm a young guy. I'm like 32. I made this when I was like 27. And I, I felt like it was my first mature work. And it's interesting because I wrote it right after Donald Trump was elected. I'm going to stop you right there. What do you mean by my first mature work? I mean, what was it that, what was that differentiating factor that? It literally felt like divided the, it. the resonance that I would feel when I would reread this is like the same resonance I would get from classic writers, some of my favorite writers. You know, it was, it was like the, the ideal that I didn't even know that I had. It was literally mind blowing, mind melting what it was. I was, Pull up that I, video. Would, I would smoke a joint and I would like, uh, like supernovas would be going off in my mind. And I said, surely this would mean that I'm actually an artist. And this isn't like, you know, something that's like a maybe kind of thing. Like this is, this is for real. So Mac, we're going to play just a little bit of that video once the ad over on YouTube ends. Yeah, that's not an ad. Oh, it's not an ad. Oh, I thought it was. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I was going to play it while you were talking there. Enlarge it. I am. My computer's running slow. I'm going to turn that down and let that play in the background a little bit. Sure. Yeah. There we yeah, go. So should I, should I just talk? I yeah, 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 go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah, go ahead. And so just kind of walk back. us through. If you uh, yeah. Can you see the video? No, he can't see the okay, video. Okay. He obviously okay. knows his own video, but kind of walk us through this. Yeah. Well, well, I think, well, I think it's really interesting about me, and maybe your viewership would be interested about me, is that I grew, I grew up secular. Basically, what my religion ends up being, if I had religion, was progressive. It's not anymore. And I did this after wow. Donald Trump. Progressivism as a religion, dude. That's deep. I've, I've heard that. Yeah, and it's it's actually pretty fucked up because it's not a very good religion. It's, it's a pseudo-religion. It doesn't know that it's a religion. It doesn't... Are, are, it's, are it's any of them good? No, and kidding. it's confused. <laughs> and, and obviously it's confused if, if you're in it because it like literally hates you along five different formal dimensions. And, you, and you hate yourself. And you hate yourself. Yeah. So this poem like is... The, expresses the trauma of that 
you know, it, it, you know, this, this is a religion that worships trauma and, and this is a poem that, that does that. Uh, mm. so it's a brutal, bad trip of, of a poem, but it's also very honest. It's supposed to be as avant-garde post-structuralist. I didn't even know what post-structuralism was. I found it out because I was doing this shit. I was like, what the fuck is this? And somebody told me it was post-structuralist. It is oh. like, it's, it's very fragmented because, you know, we're in this fragmented media environment. Um, mechanics of reincarnation it's it's very spiritual and um i was a lot of ideas of like the singularity the technological singularity was visiting me it, it conceives of poetry as uh purely speculative if what separates us from the animals is our imagination and our, and our language i said okay what if what if poetry was like that that metaphor of saying of like it was like a mind technology, a neurotechnology that they could put in your head, um, you know, hundred years down down the down the line. If it could represent that kind of experience of that just bizarre kind of, you know, what if a caveman came up to our our modern day life and was like, "What's Twitter? What's all this shit?" <laughs> you know, trying to create that effect, and that's what mechanics of reincarnation is supposed to be: is the the distance between these lines that that is so far that you make these giant mental leaps. And that's supposed to, in end, as a whole, define reincarnation as that ultimate leap, that ultimate leap of consciousness from one to another. You know, um, there, there's also, you know, have you ever heard of the ship of Theseus, that problem, that philosophical problem? Uh, about uh, how many boards you replace, at what point does it become a new ship or does it ever become? Yeah, right. Yeah. So you, you can make you can make a modification in which you say, OK. Say, like, you know, you replaced one part of your body, your hand. Are you still the same person? Okay, you can do that through every organ that you have until you get to the brain. And most people say, yeah, you're still a person even if you're, like, in a robot and you're just a brain. But then, like, what if you start replacing just a little bit of your brain? Are you still the same person? You can keep going there yeah. until you're not the same person at all. And you're kind of the same person. So you start to get into this um, stretching of what consciousness actually is. If consciousness ends up being this really complicated mathematical equation, it doesn't matter the calculator that you produce the equation on. As long as the equation exists, you exist. You know, what are what is you? What is experience itself? Uh, those are the kind of questions. So it sounds like it sounds like you're not talking about reincarnation as a actual religion as much as you're talking about reincarnation from one ideology to a next. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Across Cross ideology, like just this naive philosophical native exploration. Well, that I can actually relate to, I believe. Oh, sorry, were you still talking? Oh, so uh, I, so uh, I, I think I can, I think I can relate to that in terms of you know transitioning from one ideology to the next. Um, insofar as you know, I've spent basically most of my life doing just that, and only recently have I kindly kind of started to firm up where I'm at because I haven't been able to discover anything, any new arguments to talk me out of it. You know, yep. going from being a Christian to an atheist, going from being a, a, a statist to a anarchist, you know, for, for, oh, a, couple, a, for a couple, yeah, for a couple <laughs> examples. <laughs> I mean, you talk about a big, uh, scary leap to go from feeling like, you know, the state is the answer. We're just not doing it right to going, we don't need them at all. Like that is a huge jump from a from a you know mental standpoint to, yeah. to to even to even visualize what it might be like. And you know a lot of people will not just will not go with you there. And I, I get what you're. 
Yeah, so 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 that's the interesting thing because um, you know I feel like a lot of times we use our politics as kind of this metaphor to organize our own selves first, our own personalities. It's not like you're going to change the world before you change yourself. Believing this shit. Well, I would and, say I would say sorry to interrupt. Sorry to. Oh, Sorry like, to interrupt you there, but the uh, the politics is more of a, I think it's more of a way of trying to get the rest of the world to look like you. Yeah. <laughs> especially if you're a statist, especially it's very authoritarian. You know, if, if you're libertarian or anarchist, like the most extreme form of libertarianism, I feel like you're then embracing that emergent part of yourself of, of saying like, I can't force myself to be anything. I hate, I hate contrived shit. Yeah. You know, any kind of contrived shit you hate. As somebody who's who's really all about that freedom, about um, you know just letting things organically emerge, and if you look at uh, authoritarians, a lot of times they really emphasize um, the nurture side of the equation of nature versus nurture. Everything's a social construction. Everything is a design. It's all top down. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm actually really interested in that natural bottom up. Um, right. type stuff. It's yeah. totally much easier to try to change. It's 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 kind of lazy thinking, I think, to try to change everybody else to fit your image versus actually doing the hard work of changing yourself or improving yeah. yourself. You know, and a lot of people are scared of that. Like, not not that they I don't. Know. It's not that they don't want to, and because I, I think a lot of people do, but I think they might. There's actually a little bit of fear of the unknown, of changing, of of letting go of your preconceived well, well, notions, of being able to actually. Uh, make the transition into something new and scary and, and, and bold. And it's like, uh, because it's, we become accustomed of the same thing that we're, of what we know of. Yeah. So when we, when we kind of embark on something that's new and different, it is, it's scary. Like you were saying, and it's just your, your mind kind of plays tricks on you because it doesn't know how to process it right away. Yeah. You know, you go into the same routine lifestyles and, Everything else is so familiar. It's like it's like a little bubble that you're in, you know. Yeah, it's, so. it's like all, all of the all the politics that we see and the, all the mm-hmm. anger held wrapped up in it is yeah. just it, it, that, that frustration that you get when you can't when you're trying to change something that, that will not change, like or that you have no yeah. control over. It's like trying to control something I have no control over yeah. only makes you angry and gets you pissed off and frustrated, and you get and you just bang your head up against a wall, wondering why all these dumb people won't see things your way. And if only I could change the laws and change society to see things my way. Mm-hmm. And that's such a sh- uh, like short sighted, <clears throat> lazy kind of thinking that I, I just don't see that ever actually working out for anybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it maybe it's a good transitory. Uh, it's like a good transition period because it's like, uh, you know, you can be against the echo chamber. You can't change the echo chamber to be you because what you are is in like opposition of, of the echo chamber. And sometimes mm-hmm. that can be a very uh, inspiring place to be of being exactly that, that little thorn in the side of the, the big, the big side, you know, and, and just really nailing that home and like, you know, trolling hard and, and shit like that. I can totally, totally see that. What's interesting you you say that you've been you've been throughout you know you've been through a couple phase changes uh, ideologically. Uh, <laughs> yeah, gotta, yeah, at least a couple, <laughs> at least a couple, <laughs> just a couple. <laughs> well, I, I want to relate an experience, but also ask you a question: if, sure. if like how many friends have you lost in this process? Because hmm. you said not, not a lot of people want to follow you there. I found that very true. Um, but yeah. also, right now, I've also kind of settled. Believe it or not, when I first came into Minds, there was some accounts that I was just like. Oh man, this person has bad ideas. That's gonna affect my mind. I, I'm afraid of them. I'm afraid of their ideas. They're gonna they're gonna affect me. You know. Um. You know. I found them so like I couldn't expose myself to them. 
But nowadays, mm. I, I feel so secure in what I think. Like any kind of idea um, comes my way, I, I just don't feel that fear anymore. Um, and, and I'm surprised when other people fear, fear that. Um, and they fear that about me. You know, they, they, they might, a lot of people I know might be like, oh, I'm on their show. Who are these guys? You know, what's going on? And like really get this sense of dread. I can simulate that very well of what mm. that would feel like. Yeah. Have you lost friends like that? You know, of being like, well, what the what path are you going down? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm. I've always been a, one of those kind of guys that is very selective about who I surround myself with. Yeah, same here. And so, as far as like Jeez. losing friends, I mean, I've lost family because you know, I can't, all you got is me. I don't get. To, <laughs> no, I got. I got more friends than you. I don't. I don't get to. I don't get to pick my family, no, so I've kind of lost some family. They they don't really talk to me. I've had people get really just blow blowing up at me. It's you know unapologetically, and I'm just like, you know what? I'm not. I don't have to deal with it. And I've I've been very selective about who I surround myself with, and 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 I love that I have such a wide tapestry of different friends that of of wide ranging ideas. You know, we got Rico in the comment section here that he, he and I disagree on a lot of things, but you know, we get along like really good. You know, we 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 talk about things and we we present. He's a fun weird. Yeah, yeah. We present each him. other, you know, our arguments and stuff, mm-hmm. and it's just it's a it's a nice relaxed conversation. A little pretentious sometimes because we're just a couple of smart aleck assholes that can be, but you know, and and Anthony, he and I don't even agree on a lot of stuff. You know, it's just I I, I love to surround myself with those people. So to answer your question, I haven't really lost nearly nearly as many people as most people. I didn't start from the left going to the right, which I've heard that's where people tend to lose the most. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, weird how that happens. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's cause they don't have a theory of mind. They don't have a theory of mind for conservatives. They, they don't, they just do not understand. Well, I just, I wonder how weak minded you have to be to be literally afraid of even hearing an idea. Like how, how weak do you have to be? To think that just by hearing an idea you disagree with or, you know, you haven't heard before, that it's suddenly going to change everything about you. Like, suddenly you're not... Makes me kind of wonder how life was for them growing up, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, and you might be able to speak... It must be like like a religious person, you know? Like, I could, I could imagine, so like, a fundamentalist Christian being like, oh, you turned, you turned atheist? Like, I can't have anything to do with you or what you think, you know? Hmm. Or else I might get tainted with the bug. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um but yeah 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 i'm i i hear it's easier going right to right to left you know it's, it's yeah yeah when you talk about uh tolerance um you don't i i, I don't see it in the, i don't see it in the left as much um and, and yeah. I hate I hate to speak in those terms because I know they preach the tolerance. I, I know it's, it's I know it's I know it's more than just two two colors black and white here. It's not yeah. just left and right. But I mean, just in general, people that tend to be on the left, I, I've in my experience of interacting with them, it seems like they do not tolerate opposing ideas very well. Like they're they're the first person to emotionally storm out of your life and never come never look back and mm-hmm. not even feel guilty about it. And it's like, well, how do you how do you live like that? How do you actually do you feel like you have it all figured out? And I know a lot of people do. I mean, do you really feel like and, and I I know I spent my teenage years feeling like I had it all figured out. I know everything. Yeah. But the difference is I feel like I matured out of that. You know, what yeah. is it? Mark Twain was talking about how, you know, when I was 14 years old, my dad was the biggest idiot I've ever met. But by the time I turned 21, it was I was amazed at how much he'd learned in seven years. It was like, yeah, yeah it's it, and that's mm-hmm. exactly how I I felt, you know, growing older, I'm like, wow, I, you know, I, I actually 
don't know anything. <laughs> and, and that really humbles you to know, you know, to, to learn that you don't know anything. <laughs> I'm yeah, not- true. And, and that was one of the beautiful parts about opening my, opening my heart and my mind to, you know, to focus on the other side of the aisle kind, kind of a, kind of a thing. And, you know, it was a very natural process because I've, I've started to feel so um, constrained, constrained. There's this cl- intellectual claustrophobia um you know when literally that's all you know you know something's wrong it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel right yeah um and little things like you know for instance jordan peterson comes on on the scene when you hear about stereotypes constantly um and you're a writer and you're just trying to avoid stereotypes when you get this idea of archetypes it's just like mind-blowing yeah yeah there's a yeah never heard of Mm -hmm. this before and archetypes and stereotypes map onto nature versus nurture. There's a complete other side of the human condition you're not being exposed to at mm-hmm. all. And it creates these people with these massive imbalances. And, and, and you're surrounded by them. And they, they, um, they're unhappy. They're very unhappy and, and mentally unstable. To add and, to, to, um, add to I, what you said, so, sorry, to add to what you said, listening yeah. to Jordan Peterson in his biblical lectures talk about the archetypes that are presented therein. That is some mind-blowing shit, and I would recommend anybody, atheist or Christian alike, to go listen to those biblical lectures. Like, they are some groundbreaking shit. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, start, you start hearing him discuss how much information is actually contained in the first few lines of the Bible, and you're like, holy crap, like, I get it. Like, I do understand the depth and the knowledge that's contained here. Yeah, I don't believe in the supernatural stuff, but I do believe in the human element to this, the, the, the lessons that are being taught. You know, that's, there's a lot that can be learned from people of opposing viewpoints you know yeah. you don't have to agree with everything they say yep yeah and another one that did did for me another good red pill was the uh have you ever heard of the survive thrive cycle of uh politics i think it was on like a slate codex no, I, I have not i have not, I have not. No. no you might find this interesting um well have you ever heard of a mott and bailey argument i have not no a mott and bailey argument is uh where you have this Amat is is a is a castle and a bailey is like the surrounding town farmlands kind of a thing and, and a lot of the way people argue is they'll make outlandish ridiculous claims that get a lot of attention and are very sensationalist and gain them power but are very hard to defend so as soon as an attacker comes or they feel like an attacker uh, an intellectual attacker they say oh we didn't mean any of that we actually meant this more conservative um sensible position which is their mott kind of a thing mm-hmm. but the mott is the survive point the the bailey is the thrive point kind of a thing so just keep that in mind you, you're going to see that more more if you research it you'd be like wow that shit's everywhere yeah I've, yeah as, as soon as you said that i see it all the time because actually in order to get elected so to be the front runner like say on the democrat side you have to take on those extreme positions to become right. yeah. to become the main front runner to to get the the the, the, the uh, you know get the spot and then it's Trump. when it goes in when you go into the general elections you have to pull back and and, and pull put on that more conservative to try to get the Trump voters didn't do that. yeah well, Trump <laughs> didn't but but that is in general how kind of politics work you have to start off yeah. with the really extreme and it's it's I don't it doesn't make any logical sense like why would we yeah. run our society that way. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand because the only the only people you're going to get are the people that are willing to basically hold two completely different viewpoints publicly and, and, and say it right to your face. Like, 
dude, three months ago you were saying this and now you're saying this and it doesn't, yeah. they're not the same thing. But And a lot, a lot of times when you see opposition to really sensible points, it's because in their mind, they know that as soon as they turn their back, that, that Bailey is just going to come right back out and they're going to yeah. start doing some bullshit, you know, in, in, yeah. the, in the back when, when you, they think you're not looking. Um, so it's, it kind of reminds me of an organism of this survive and thrive kind of, um, you know, you, you see that in biology all the time of these multiple modes that these creatures take in order to survive and to thrive, to profit. Hmm. Um, so basically, if you look at conservatives um, and their worldviews that they often take, um, it's like the world is always on the brink of collapse and they're getting ready to survive. If, if you want to survive an apocalypse, you want a hierarchy, you want lots of guns, you want very stable social relationships, you want no nonsense, you want like strictly the truth, that sort of thing. And then if you look on the left side, the left side is like, well, what if society was bountiful? If you had all these resources, then you, want, you, then you would be concerned about distributing them as equally as possible. And you'd be very interested in like fashion and aesthetics and all the wonderful things that a thriving society can Art, do. Art, creativity, right? Yeah. I, so, I, I do want to. I do want to correct you a little bit if if you'll yeah. if you'll entertain it. Um, yeah. I, I don't think that they are imagining a world with you know all the bounty. I think they actually believe that there's unlimited bounty, unlimited resources. Yeah. They tried it in yeah. Portland. <laughs> well, well, they say. I mean, this is kind of. Um, uh, this is uh, a Yang's point: is that if you want people to be less um, divided or like more empathetic and compassionate to each other, mm -hmm. if everybody was rich, richer, if everybody felt that they were thriving, they'd naturally be much more integrative. They'd naturally be much more less contentious. All this st stuff. Mm -hmm. As soon as like you divide people into groups, and then you say there's limited resources, and we're all fighting, and we're all making <laughs> arguments of who gets the less, who who gets the least, you get this kind of very contentious, um, sometimes violent. Um, politics that nobody really likes and, and what really sucks is like that is that i think that's closer to the truth that's you know it's it's kind of a, a a axiom that human desires are infinite and resources are finite and then right. like yep. like in trying to figure out how we run society it's just a matter of trying to delegate or figure out where those resources need to go to be the most effective to get the most bang for your buck so to speak all right. So, so would you would you say that the market is like the best way to do that? Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Nonstop, yeah. all day. So, I mean, I, I I haven't seen a single thing that the government's <laughs> ever done that the free market couldn't do better. So, kind of shifting gears on you. Um, so, do you have anything that you've been writing lately, um, or is, do you have any other work that's kind of coming up, or doing any more videos? Yeah, yeah. I've got. Well, I'm posting online all the time. Okay. Um, and I'm writing poetry for the group. I'm also got this story uh, called Heather Moore is the therapist, <laughs> and, it, and it's, it's it sounds it's like a Karen. <laughs> Go ahead. She she kind of is, but she's she's like a millennial Zoomer type. It's it's a short term speculative fiction. I wrote it before the election, and I oh. said, okay, what if Biden wins? This is now going to be the future four years down the road. Um, and it's a sci-fi, so there's all sorts of different fun little technological stuff to it. Um, but uh, it's very, it's set in Toronto, and it's really extrapolating all these kind of issues yeah. um, with a character who hasn't been, who hasn't taken that journey on the right, but she keeps getting confronted with all these kind of um, right-wing problems. 
or right wing influences and not really knowing what they are. And they kind of like shape her as she tries to figure out um, her way through this life. That's the kind of concept there. She's trying to be a therapist during this and she's never been trained to be a therapist. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this one. <laughs> I, I, know, I know the feeling. I know the feeling, guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's the main joke. So yeah, um, it's a very experimental form of therapy that she, she produces. Um, so I'm working on nice. that and, um, yeah. And, and I got the other that I was telling you about the dream one. And, mm-hmm. and then I just do a bunch of poetry and, uh, maybe, maybe philosophy, maybe, um, I've, I've got a couple ideas of where we might be going. So right on Mac. Well, I'll tell you what, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. It's yeah. been great getting to know you and I look forward to more interaction with you. I would even like to uh, participate in your poetry group as well. If uh, you'll have me down, dude. Um, yeah. yeah I want to let me know, let me know well. when and where and, and send, you know, hook us up with them links. Poetry group. That's it. Yeah, where can people reach you at, and where can they purchase your book? Uh, they can po- purchase my book on Gumroad if they look up Mechanics of Reincarnation. Uh, also, the ebook is on Amazon and Smashwords. Um, and they can reach me at mac.vote at gmail.com or uh, reach out on Minds. I'm on Minds. I'm, I'm committed to Minds. I think Minds is going to be it like five years down the road. Yep, yep, I do agree. After talking to Bill, (laughs) it's looking that way. (laughs) All right, man. So uh, if if y'all want to hang out and join us for our private group member only Zoom Zoom call, make sure you're part of the Discord group and or and or the Telegram group. And I will be sending out that link here in just a few minutes. Um, You guys have been watching another episode of the Unframe of Mind show, where we're having uncomfortable conversations. Our videos. This was not. This was not that uncomfortable. We should. We should make it more uncomfortable. Uh, I felt next, very comfortable in this conversation. Next time, no bathrobes. I think it was after. Yeah, yeah, that would make things rather uncomfortable. Anyway, <laughs> so, so um, listen. Um, if you guys want to support the show, best thing you can do is share. Um, otherwise, if you want to go to our website, unframeofmind.com, we do have a number of links, um, other methods uh, between our merch, yeah. and, and you can donate and, and help us out financially. Um, we try not to ask too much, but. We do really, really appreciate, and that kind of keeps us going. It lets us know that what we do brings you value, and you guys value it. Yeah, so. you can support us over on Subscribe Star for $3, little as $3 a month. That's right. $3. That's and, it. And what was it? For so. $250, you said you'd take it up the butt? Is that Yes. What? Yep, $250 a month. Absolutely. We'll take it up the butt. All right. <laughs> yeah. That pays the bills for, for like five years for us. <laughs> I think our audio is coming through, but my my yeah the video anyway, is not doing well. I'll figure out what's going on with that my system resources. Anyway, y'all have a good night. See you have here shortly. One. See ya. Thanks for coming. <laughs>